this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back to Hit Parade, a podcast of pop chart history from Slate Magazine about the hits from coast to coast. I'm Chris Malanfi, chart analyst, pop critic, and writer of Slate's Why Is This Song Number One series. On our last episode, we talked about the distinctive but parallel careers of R&B vocal legends Patti LaBelle, Dionne Warwick, and Roberta Flack how they continually made songs theirs and redefined the boundaries for black female artists. Their boundary pushing helped soften the ground for a fourth R&B queen, Shaka Khan, to emerge as the star of the funk rock band Rufus and a chart topper in her own right. We're now up to the late 70s when the moves these ladies made would set up their careers for some big 80s breakthroughs. Here was the thing about disco a music at which black, gay, and especially female artists excelled. It absolutely made the careers of legends like Gloria Gaynor and Donna Summer. But it was also sink or swim, for a generation of R&B singers who predated disco. Some adapted well, like, for example, Diana Ross, whose hits in this era were intermittent but were, by and large, classics. And, on the other hand, some legends, like the Queen of Soul herself, really face-planted in this period. Aretha Franklin's 1979 La Diva, her attempt at an all-disco album, was eviscerated by critics and, more important, her lowest charting album of the 60s, 70s, or 80s. So, for our quartet of R&B queens, 
The question was how they would decode disco and keep their careers afloat. In her new book, Shine Bright, A Very Personal History of Black Women in Pop, critic Danielle Smith points out that Dionne Warwick was, in one sense, slightly ahead of the curve. Her 1974 proto-disco Tom Bell smash, Then Came You, with what Smith calls a miraculous groove. Makes everything right. presaged a wave of sophisticated disco-era hits by the likes of Marilyn McCoo and Billy Davis Jr., and Peaches and Her. Still, as Smith points out, Dion was mostly unmoved by disco, but, quote, Warwick was pragmatic, Smith writes. She did try a form of urbane disco in the late 70s, as on her 1977 LP, Love at First Sight. Nothing from this album was a hit, although Early Morning Strangers was a reunion of sorts for Dion with Hal David, the lyricist who penned so many of Warwick's 60s hits with Burt Bacharach. But it was the other co-writer on Early Morning Strangers who turned out to be more pivotal for disco-era Dion, singing superstar Barry Manilow who was also a producer and arranger. Manilow manned the boards for Dion's next album, 1979's simply titled Dion, which became Warwick's first ever platinum album. Manilow figured out a disco-era sound that suited her. The hit Deja Vu was something closer to Yacht Rock. And a solid hit. Number 15 pop, number 25 R&B, and number one on Billboard's adult contemporary chart. Another single on the album did even better, the ballad I'll Never Love This Way Again, which reached number 5 pop and number 18 R&B. It sounded contemporary to the period, but not danceable. Manilow had made Warwick current by making her disco-adjacent, not disco. Meanwhile, Roberta Flack moved even more cautiously through the disco era, taking a full two years to come back with another self-produced album, 1977's Blue Lights in the Basement. Tracks like Why Don't You Move In With Me were perky and almost danceable. Why don't you 
But like Warwick, what really worked for Flack in this period was disco instrumentation on slow or mid-tempo songs rather than dance songs. In the era of the so-called disco ballad, a la the Bee Gees' How Deep Is Your Love, or Peaches and Herbs' Reunited, Roberta Flack reunited with her duet partner Donny Hathaway for a Blue Lights track that proved to be a mega smash. The The Closer I Get to You climbed all the way to number two on the Hot 100 and number one on the R&B chart, the biggest duet hit ever for Flack and Hathaway, outcharting even their 1972 hit Where Is the Love. For an artist who now recorded on her own slower-paced schedule, Flack had nonetheless managed to keep pace on the charts. Patti LaBelle had a tougher time, particularly her group, LaBelle. After the triumph of their Nightbirds album, which went top 10 and gold, each subsequent album charted lower than its predecessor. It had taken them half a decade to define their own rock-meets-funk lane, only to find themselves unmoored in the disco era. LaBelle's strutting 1976 dance-funk single, Get You Somebody New, could only manage a number 50 R&B chart peak. And 1977's Isn't It a Shame, the closest the group came to a disco ballad, though it was really more like a saloon ballad, managed a number 18 R&B peak, but missed the pop chart entirely. The group's flagging fortunes made Patti LaBelle's departure for a solo career a virtual inevitability. She would not reunite with Nona Hendricks and Sarah Dash until the 2000s. More promisingly, the solo LaBelle scored an actual club hit in this period. For all intents and purposes, Patti had been a disco diva in training for most of her two-decade career, and she finally fulfilled that destiny on Music Is My Way of Life. In May 1979, at the peak of Donna Summer and Gloria Gaynor, Patti's Ride Cymbal Jam reached number 10 on Billboard's disco chart. But, perhaps unsurprisingly, the singer who seemed to adapt best to peak disco was the youngin, Shaka Khan. In essence, Khan's hits with Rufus had been edging away from funk and closer to disco bit by bit, as on their 1977 number one R&B, number 30 pop hit, At Midnight, My Love Will Lift You Up.
To this point, the group was still billed as Rufus featuring Shaka Khan. But then, like Patti LaBelle, Khan made a move that indicated she was angling for a fully solo career. The shot across the bow was a single billed to producer Quincy Jones called Stuff Like That. Stuff Like That featured vocals from husband and wife team Nick Ashford and Valerie Simpson, as well as a very prominent Shaka Khan. When Quincy's jam reached the top of the R&B chart and scraped the pop top 20 in the summer of 1978, Stuff Like That served as a de facto career coming out for Shaka Khan. Within months, Khan moved quickly to capitalize on her new profile outside of Rufus. She teamed with super producer Arif Martin to record a self-titled LP, Shaka, and with the help of songwriters Ashford and Simpson, she dropped one of her best-known singles. Solo career launching songs don't get much more definitive than I'm Every Woman. Shaka Khan's statement of purpose. Ashford and Simpson said they'd been struggling with the melody and the lyric for months, but when they gave the song to Khan, she instinctively knew how to arrange the track, inserting vocal runs in all the right spots, like the long I'm in I'm Every Woman. Released in the early fall of 1978, I'm Every Woman took just over a month to top the R&B chart and reach number 21 on the pop chart, the best any single sung by Khan, Rufus or otherwise, had done on the Hot 100 in nearly three years. Even then, Khan did not abandon Rufus. Though there was tension in the group resulting from Shaka's ever-increasing solo stardom, producer Quincy Jones managed to reunite the warring factions in 1979 for the album Master Jam, which sounded less like the Rufus of old and more like Quincy's brand of smooth yacht soul. What You Feel, with lead vocals by both Khan and Rufus member Tony Maiden, topped the R&B chart at the very end of 1979. While it certainly prolonged Rufus's career, mostly it seemed to burnish Khan's. She was back on the solo tip almost immediately as the 80s dawned, dropping a string of new LPs over the next three years, including the sleek synth funk of What You Gonna Do For Me, another Shaka Khan R&B number one in 1981. So, Khan enjoyed a glide path 
from the 70s into the 80s. Roberta Flack's road was much bumpier and much sadder. This song, Stay With Me, anchored Flack's next album, which was a kind of elegy. As we discussed in our December episode of Hit Parade when covering the career of Donny Hathaway, the gifted but troubled singer was plagued with crippling depression and paranoid schizophrenia. He spent his final weeks recording with Roberta Flack with the intention of issuing another full album of Flack-Hathaway duets. But Donnie would never live to see that new album's release. He committed suicide in January 1979. A devastated Roberta Flack completed the album with whatever vocals he had recorded for a 1980 release in tribute to her friend. You are my love. Simply titled Roberta Flack featuring Donny Hathaway, the album produced two sizable singles in 1980, both number eight hits on the R&B chart, the sparkling You Are My Heaven and the gently funky Back Together Again, its title now a grim irony. Flack's conclusion was that she needed another duet partner. Before the end of 1980, she'd found one. Since you came into my life, every part of me seems Truth came to the light. Greenville, South Carolina soul balladeer Peebo Bryson. His debut with Flack was a concert plus studio album, Live and More, that generated a top 20 R&B hit they wrote together, called Make the World Stand Still. There were much bigger hits in their future yet to come. Meanwhile, Patti LaBelle's entry into the 1980s gave no indication of the shifts her career was about to undergo. She was still recording a range of material, from the stately piano and brass lament I Don't Go Shopping, a number 26 R&B hit, to a mid-tempo rock and soul song, originally intended for Jackson Brown, Shoot Him On Sight. The songwriter of Shoot Him On Sight, Dexter Wansel, wound up giving LaBelle her first R&B number one, the 1983 single If You Only Knew 
a slow dance co-written with Philly soul producer Kenny Gamble and Journeywoman Cynthia Biggs. Between that soulful chart-topper and LaBelle's brief stint on Broadway in 1982, acting and singing in the gospel musical Your Arms Too Short to Box with God, Patty had seemingly reached the height of black-centered cultural fame without much caring to cross over. Even if you only knew, as big as it was at Black Radio, missed the top 40 on the Hot 100. Patty hadn't had a serious pop crossover hit since LaBelle's chart-topper Lady Marmalade back in 1975. But she and the other R&B queens were all about to undergo a serious 80s makeover. And, ironically, the first to transform herself, Ms. Dionne Warwick, did it by teaming with the kings of the 70s. In the 1980s, Frank Farian was riding high as a successful German music producer but he was bored. German pop was formulaic and dull. Frank had bigger dreams, American dreams. He wanted to create the kind of music that would rival larger-than-life artists like Michael Jackson or Run DMC. So he assembled a hip-hop duo, two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? One very important element was missing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when their adoring fans learned about the infamous lip-syncing, their downfall was swift and brutal. With exclusive interviews from frontman Fab Morvan and his producers Frank Farian and Ingrid Segeith, this podcast takes a fresh look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli on the Wondery app, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So, the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This podcast is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Most of you listening right now are probably multitasking. Yep, while you're listening, you're probably also driving, cleaning, exercising, or maybe even grocery shopping. But if you're not in some kind of moving vehicle, there's something else you can be doing right now. 
Getting an auto quote from Progressive Insurance. It's easy, and you could save money by doing it right from your phone. Drivers who save by switching to Progressive save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Discounts for having multiple vehicles on your policy, being a homeowner, and more. So, just like your favorite podcast, Progressive will be with you 24-7, 365 days a year, so you're protected no matter what. Multitask right now. Quote your car insurance at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Dionne Warwick recorded her early 1983 hit, Heartbreaker. She was jumping on a trend. No, not synth-pop, although synthesizers were more prominent on this track than on any hit she'd had before. The trend was working with the Bee Gees. As we discussed in our Bee Gees episode of Hit Parade, the Gibb brothers were having a bizarro early 80s. Even as the trio were losing out on the charts as frontline artists, no one wanted to hear those falsettos on Top 40 radio anymore. At that same moment, Barry Gibb and his brothers were writing and producing wildly successful post-disco pop for veteran superstars. Superstars like Barbara Streisand, whom Barry Gibb provided with some of the biggest hits of her career. In 1980 and 81... Islands in the Stream, Kenny Rogers' chart-topping 1983 duet with Dolly Parton. Islands in the Stream, that is what we are, no one in between, how can we be wrong? So, for Dionne Warwick, teaming with Barry Gibb was just good business. With Heartbreaker, written by all three Gibb brothers, they even sing prominent backups on the track, Warwick returned to the pop top 10 for the first time since 1979's I'll Never Love This Way Again. For Roberta Flack, the 80s reboot was even subtler. 
On 1982's I'm the One, she sounded like an early version of Sade, a new kind of sophistopop. The One, which made the middle rungs of both the R&B chart and the Hot 100, wound up being Flack's last ever pop hit as a soloist. From then on, most of her singles were duets, many with her new singing partner, Peebo Bryson, including this hit that you've probably heard wafting out of a radio, a supermarket, a dentist's office. 1983's Tonight I Celebrate My Love. So ubiquitous was this easy listening favorite you might be surprised to learn that Bryson and Flack's Tonight I Celebrate My Love only reached number 16 pop, number 5 R&B, and number 4 adult contemporary. But it was a remarkably long-lasting hit, riding the Hot 100 for 29 weeks, more than half a year, from 1983 into 1984. Figuring she probably couldn't top that, Roberta Flack went on another of her long recording hiatuses. She wouldn't come back for five years, finally ending her dry spell in late 1988, topping the R&B chart one last time in early 89 with Oasis. But probably the most transformative sonic evolution of the 80s came from Shaka Khan. Her first big shift came thanks to the group she thought she had left behind, Rufus. Ain't Nobody was born when Rufus keyboardist David Hawk Walensky was playing around with what turned out to be a seminal piece of technology. The Lynn Drum. We've talked on Hit Parade about some inspired 80s singles that came out of artists tinkering with new technology. How, for example, The Prophet 5 spawned Phil Collins's spooky In the Air Tonight or the Roland CompuRhythm, which powered Daryl Hall and John Oates' sleek I Can't Go For That. The Lindrum was one of those. It had already appeared on major hits by The Human League, and Prince. Let's But what Hawk Walensky did on Ain't Nobody was truly inspired. 
he ran the Lindrum's beats through a sequencer, which made the rhythm off-kilter and strangely enveloping. It was like the beat and the synth lines were either fighting or playing off of one another. Then he added a monster kick drum. which was doubled in the studio by Rufus's actual human drummer, John Robinson. None of this would have mattered if Shaka Khan weren't singing the song. On Ain't Nobody, Khan holds back for two verses, snarling and purring, before the explosion of the chorus. It was Rufus's last hit, and arguably their tour de force. Ain't Nobody reached number one on the R&B chart in October 1983 and a more modest number 22 on the Hot 100 two months later. It remains Rufus's most played radio track to this day rivaled only by Tell Me Something Good. Now free of her commitment to Rufus and able to focus entirely upon her solo career, Khan went even further toward the cutting edge of pop. The song that would get her there was this deep cut by none other than Prince. I Feel For You was on Prince's self-titled 1979 album and had never been issued as a single. Working on her next album in 1984, Khan and producer Arif Martin felt the song had potential, and they assembled an all-star team to remake it in the studio. Prince himself was invited but couldn't make it in that busy year of Purple Rain. But they did get rapper Melly Mel, who was coming off his classic 1983 hit, White Lines. Mel agreed to do a bespoke rap honoring Shaka Khan. They also got Stevie Wonder, who not only agreed to play harmonica, he also cleared a sample of his 1963 number one live hit as Little Stevie Wonder, the song Fingertips Part Two. But the signature element of Shaka Khan's I Feel For You the part that everybody loves vocalizing to this day, was, to some extent, an accident. Martin intended for Melly Mel's rap, Shaka Khan, Let Me Rock You, to go in the middle of the record. But one day, the sampler got stuck repeating Khan's name. It was so inspired, Martin not only kept it, he put it at the very beginning. Chaka, 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 gone. Chaka, gone. 
Chaka Khan, Chaka Khan. Shaka Khan, let me rock it, let me rock it, Shaka Khan. Let me rock it, that's all I want to do, Shaka Khan. At a time when rap was still in the process of crossing over with pop audiences, I Feel For You was a hip-hop ambassador of a song. It had the bones of Prince's R&B classic, Stevie Wonder's joyous harmonica, rap from one of the country's top rappers, and the stately vocals of Shaka Khan herself. I Feel For You reached number three on the Hot 100 and number one on the R&B chart in November 1984, Shaka Khan's biggest pop hit ever. Coming just one year after Ain't Nobody, I Feel For You affirmed Khan as a centerpiece artist of 80s electropop, a sound that carried through on all of her I Feel For You LP's tracks, even the ballads, like the number 15 R&B hit, Through the Fire. Or her acclaimed kinetic remake of British soft rocker Gary Wright's 1976 hit, Love Is A Lie. The run of I Feel For You's hits also established Shaka as rock and pop royalty, everyone's favorite guest. One year after the hits from the LP had run their course, Khan finally appeared on a number one pop hit when her unmistakable vocals graced the chorus of Steve Winwood's Grammy-winning chart-topper Higher Love. Khan remained a favorite of producer Quincy Jones. He brought her back to do vocals on another of his frontline tracks, his 1989 R&B chart topper, I'll Be Good To You, a Brothers Johnson remake that also featured Ray Charles. Maybe the unlikeliest and most inspiring 80s career reboot was Patti LaBelle's. Back in 1984, she had signed to a new label, MCA, and she was looking to get out of her ballad-heavy lane. She'd observed how synth-infused new wave production styles had energized the work of not only Shaka Khan, but also her friends, the Pointer Sisters. Patty thought, I can do that. So, teaming up with a new production team working on MCA's soundtrack to a forthcoming Eddie Murphy film called Beverly Hills Cop, Patti LaBelle, at age 40, underwent a high-tech sonic makeover. Up, up, 
Patty's two tracks for the Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack got prominent placement in the 1984 film, including Stir It Up, which reached the R&B Top 5 and just missed the Pop Top 40. Her other track on the soundtrack not only charted better, it doubled as LaBelle's newfound life philosophy. New Attitude was both synthetic in sound and authentic to Patty's personality, a four-minute aerobics workout that doubled as a pop song. It reached number three on the R&B chart and, importantly, number 17 on the Hot 100, the highest any LaBelle song had climbed since Lady Marmalade a decade earlier. A month after New Attitude peaked on the Hot 100 in June 1985, the Beverly Hills Cop soundtrack reached number one on the pop album chart. So LaBelle was now something like a pop star, perky, peacocking, playful. So it made sense that one month after that, in July 1985, the organizers of Live Aid, specifically the part that took place in Patty's hometown of Philadelphia, gave her a very prominent evening slot. Bob Dylan. May I bless and always keep you. May your wishes all come true. May you always do for others. And Patty LaBelle did not phone it in. She looked regal at Live Aid in a crowning headdress, and she played a whopping six songs, one of the longest sets of the entire event. In addition to performing her latest hits, Patty paid tribute to rock legends like John Lennon with a cover of Imagine, and Bob Dylan with Forever Young. Just like in her LaBelle days, Patty was hybridizing rock and soul. But LaBelle's big showcase of the night at Live Aid came not in her set, but in the final all-star sing-along of We Are The World. Unlike Dionne Warwick, Patty had not taken part in the original USA for Africa recording. Live on stage at Live Aid, she more than made up for that. It's hard to stand out when about a hundred people are on stage, but nobody missed Patty, visually or vocally. Of course, Dionne Warwick was also at Live Aid, though she was far less prominent that day than Patti LaBelle. I've already extolled Dionne's great and underrated vocal on We Are The World. But it wasn't Warwick's only charity mega-single of 1985. 
Her crowning achievement that year was a song she recorded about six months later, a benefit single for AIDS research. And unlike the carefully staged We Are The World, this song came about much more organically. That's What Friends Are For was first recorded by, of all people, Rod Stewart for, of all things, a 1982 Henry Winkler, Michael Keaton comedy film called Night Shift. Stewart's version of the song was not a hit, which greatly disappointed the song's co-writers, veteran songsmith Carol Bayer Sager and her then-husband Bert Bacharach. Around 1985, Sager and Bacharach were invited to contribute to Dionne Warwick's next album. Remember, Burt and Dionne had not recorded together since 1971. Sager brought them back together, and their old grudge turned out to be water under the bridge. Warwick, for her part, loved That's What Friends Are For, and she wanted to record it but she thought it might need backup. Warwick had the idea to bring in Stevie Wonder. She had duetted with Wonder the prior year on his Woman in Red soundtrack album. Stevie Wonder came in to record That's What Friends Are For with Warwick the same day that actress Elizabeth Taylor, a friend of Carol Bayer Sager's, visited the studio. Taylor was one of the earliest advocates for AIDS research, and Sager proposed that Warwick and Wonder's new single should serve as a benefit for Taylor's charity, Amphar. Now that it was a benefit song, Warwick proposed that they bring in a couple more vocalists. Her first choice was Gladys Knight, who was still an R&B hitman. To round it out and give a final punch at the chorus, they wanted one more male vocalist, and Wonder had recently played with Elton John. So, this foursome of Dionne Warwick, Stevie Wonder, Gladys Knight, and Elton John took on Burt Bacharach and Carol Bayer Sager's song finally giving That's What Friends Are For the warmth that Rod Stewart's version had lacked. It even kicked off with Wonder's signature harmonica. Together, these four singers were a mini USA for Africa, a super friends of pop. 
the song had all the vocal fireworks expected of a charity mega-single, but also a kindness and empathy, especially given the song's generosity toward those marginalized by HIV at a very early stage in the AIDS epidemic. The same warmth that Dionne Warwick had brought to her brief solo on We Are The World was all over That's What Friends Are For. Released just before the holidays of 1985, That's What Friends Are For, credited officially to Dion and Friends, climbed all the way to number one in January 1986 and stayed there for four weeks. It was the biggest hit of Warwick's career, and it was later named Billboard's number one song of 1986. Reportedly, That's What Friends Are For has raised more than $3 million for AIDS research. Four months after that song peaked, another of our R&B queens rode another collaboration to number one on a song that was, you can't make up a coincidence like this, also by Burt Bacharach and Carol Bayer Sager. But the song that took Patti LaBelle to number one was never supposed to be a duet at all. When Patti LaBelle recorded On My Own for Bacharach and Sager, she sang it, well, on her own. But to the pair of songwriter-producers, the track cried out for a male vocalist accompaniment. Bacharach and Sager were friends with former Doobie Brother and Yacht Rock King Michael McDonald. He agreed to add vocals, but he did so from a studio in Los Angeles while LaBelle remained in Philadelphia. McDonald and LaBelle never actually met until long after the song had become a hit. In fact, they met the night they performed it together on The Tonight Show. By then, On My Own was number one on both the Hot 100 and the R&B chart, the biggest hit of either vocalist's career. On My Own was so popular, LaBelle's Winner In You album also reached number one on the pop album chart, the first of our R&B queens to do this since Roberta Flack's first take in 1972. LaBelle pulled more hits from the platinum-certified album, including the top 10 R&B, top 30 pop hit, Oh People. Patti LaBelle would never quite reach these chart heights again, but her status as a crossover star and R&B legend was now etched in stone. LaBelle would continue to cast a shadow on pop in unexpected ways, including recording a song for a James Bond film, If You Asked Me To, from 1989's License to Kill. 
song that, by the way, was later turned into a hit by Celine Dion. Game recognized game. Indeed, all of our queens saw their music recycled by future generations. Famously, for 1992's The Bodyguard soundtrack, Whitney Houston covered Shaka Khan's I'm Every Woman, emulating her arrangement of the song and even doing a little Melly Mel impersonation. In 1996, rap trio The Fugees remade Roberta Flack's Killing Me Softly with his song as a showcase for the vocals of Ms. Lauren Hill and the one-time, two-time rapping of Wyclef Jean. Their version of Killing Me Softly reached number two on pop radio and pushed The Fugees' album The Score to number one. In 2001, LaBelle's classic Lady Marmalade was remade for the soundtrack of the Baz Luhrmann film Moulin Rouge by no less than four vocalists, Christina Aguilera, Lil' Kim, Maya, and Pink, plus producer and rapper Missy Elliott, and they took the song back to number one. The year after that, Patti LaBelle was, in a way, back at number one when her 1983 R&B hit Love, Need, and Want You was interpolated by rapper Nelly and Destiny's child singer Kelly Rowland into the number one smash Dilemma. Around the same time, rap trio De La Soul invited Shaka Khan to sing on their hit All Good, a top 10 hit on Billboard's rap chart in 2000. And here's a quick trivia question. Who was the last of our four queens to score a top 10 pop hit? Can you guess? Probably Shaka, right? Or maybe Ms. Patty? Nope. It was the reclusive Roberta Flack, who, in 1991, got all the way to number six in yet another duet, this time with reggae singer Maxie Priest on the song Set the Night to Music. Say this for Roberta, she may not come through all that much, but when she does, it is celebrated. 
R&B chart topper Maxwell even lured Flack out on stage to duet with him at 2010's Grammy Awards on the song that she made famous with Donny Hathaway back in 1972, Where Is the Love? Where is the love? As I record this episode in 2022, all four of these ladies are still with us. Take note, Rock Hall. Shaka Khan scored a top 10 club hit in 2013 with It's Not Over, which paired her with singer and rapper Lecrae. Roberta Flack still records too. Her latest album, Running, came out in 2018. Patti LaBelle is a septuagenarian energizer bunny. In the last decade, she's made appearances on Dancing with the Stars and in 2019, performed a cover of Lone Star's country hit Amazed, concealed in a costume on the show The Masked Singer. Mind you, even before Miss Patty's identity was revealed, it was not hard to figure out who was singing in that flower costume. Don't know how you do what you do. So with you. And finally, well, no one is having a better 2020s than Ms. Dionne Warwick. She kicked off the decade in 2019 with a hit song, a number 16 club record called You Really Started Something. More famously, Dionne has become the queen of Twitter, popping off with thoughts about popular culture tweeted by a woman with no fucks left to give. This modern-day, no-holds-barred version of Warwick was lovingly parodied on Saturday Night Live by Ego Nuodum, so lovingly that Warwick herself deigned to show up on SNL. Oh, I'm so excited for you that I'm here. Okay. You something. Dion, why are you perfect? <laughs> Darling, I'm not perfect. I'm just very, very good. And, oh yeah, Dion, now in her 80s, is still singing. She live-streamed a concert just last May in 2021 for Mother's Day, featuring songs that she made famous nearly 60 years ago. Don't make me over Now that I do Anything for you Don't make me over Now that you know How I adore you While we were preparing this Hit Parade episode, in a mid-March interview with the series Watch What Happens Live, 
Dionne Warwick revealed that she doesn't, quote, give a damn if she is inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And I gotta say, I respect this. She doesn't need the Rock Hall. Warwick is already a legend, a queen. Like Roberta Flack, Patti LaBelle, and Shaka Khan, Warwick inspired other R&B, pop, and even rock vocalists to think outside the box and not limit themselves to any one genre. Nonetheless, I trust Ms. Warwick won't mind if I check her name on my Rock Hall ballot. It will bring me joy, even if all Dion does is walk on by. Walk on by Make believe You don't see the tears I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hit Parade. Our show was written, edited, and narrated by Chris Malanfi. That's me. My producer is Kevin Bendis. Kevin also produced the latest installment of our monthly Hit Parade The Bridge shows, which are available exclusively to Slate Plus members. In our latest Bridge episode, critic and author Danielle Smith talks to us about the history of Black women in pop, the subject of her new book, Shine Bright. To sign up for Slate Plus and hear that show and all our shows the day they drop, visit slate.com slash hitparadeplus. Alicia Montgomery is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. Check out their roster of shows at slate.com slash podcasts. You can subscribe to Hit Parade wherever you get your podcasts, in addition to finding it in the Slate Culture feed. If you're subscribing on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review us while you're there. It helps other listeners find the show. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to leading the Hit Parade back your way. Until then, keep on marching on the one. I'm Chris Malanfi. Don't stop. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.